Last week we began the uh, study of a very important book, the book of Romans. One of the, thing, one of the things that we said about the book of Romans uh, last week is probably the, the single most important document that has been written in the, in the Bible uh, that has changed the history of the world. We looked at men and women who have been changed uh, by this, uh, this message uh, of the book of Romans. Uh, it is a book uh, that is kind of, we said, the, the knot in the bow of of the history of redemption. All, all of life is, is it's not about what you do and how you do. And it's about the God of history, the Alpha and the Omega. And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you believe it or not believe it, you're part of that history. And that's why it's important when you come to the preaching of the Word that you listen, that you become attentive. Uh, but the book of Romans is uh, Paul's apologetic, okay? Uh, A lot of people think of it as a doctrinal book, a book uh, filled with doctrine, and it is. I mean, it sets forth the gospel in such a way uh, that it leads to mission. So so it's really not so much a doctrinal book about the sovereignty of God, Romans 9, which Presbyterians love to uh, go to. But but it's, it's a book that tells us why Jesus Christ is the only way that a man or a woman might be right with God. And so at the end of the book, in Romans chapter 16, the Apostle Paul says, I hope to see you on my way to Spain. Because he believed the gospel must be preached to every uh, creature. So it is my desire, if you're a Christian, that that the fresh winds of the gospel as we go through this book this year will push through your soul. And you'll once again uh, just be amazed at the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And you're calling an election. But also, if you're not a believer, I would encourage you to hang in there. Because Paul is trying to lay out why you need Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at the the power of the gospel. uh, It is dynamite. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, I was given my title to Letitia. And she usually helps me with my titles. And when I told her the title, I could tell she was completely nonplussed by it. Maybe you are, but for you that know Jesus, it is dynamite. It's powerful. Do you know Jesus? Let's uh, let's, uh, read our text together. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come but thus have been prevented in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. For I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. For I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, 
The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we set forth your word. That we would see the power of the gospel. And that gospel is Jesus Christ himself. For those who are here today that are unbelievers, uh, seekers perhaps, uh, Lord, would you speak to them that they would see the beauty of Christ? For those who are not sure where they are, maybe they're struggling with assurance of salvation. Lord, that uh, the gospel might be rightly set so that they would look away from themselves and look to Christ. And Father, for, for those who are growing in Christ, uh, Lord, that uh, once again they might be uh, refreshed with this good news. And we ask it in your name. Amen. I'm sure that most of you uh, have heard of the Nobel Peace Prize. Maybe some of you children have it. But uh, it's given uh, so often, I can't remember if it's every year, every other year. And, uh, but, uh, and some of you might even know that it was named after a gentleman named Alfred Nobel. And what some of you might not know was that, the, the, uh, that Alfred Nobel was a chemist and he invented dynamite. And uh, he actually believed this, as I read up on this. Uh, he actually believed that because dynamite was so powerful that once it came out there, that it would bring world peace uh, because no army would be foolish enough to have their whole armies wiped out by the scores by this powerful uh, substance. He went on to say this, and this is very interesting. I read a quote by him to prove this. He says, uh, he says, my dynamite will sooner lead to peace than a thousand world conventions. As soon as men will find that in one instant whole armies can be utterly destroyed, they surely will abide by the golden peace. You ever heard of nuclear weapons? They don't destroy armies. They destroy nations. Uh, as a matter of fact, they, they, they can destroy the entire universe, but we know that won't happen because we know Almighty God is sovereign and He reigns, and that's not the way it's going to end. But what Dr. Uh, Nobel, uh, Nobel failed to understand is another power that's greater than dynamite. And uh, you have it. Everybody, even if you're a kid, and it's the power of indwelling sin. He failed to see that the source of conflict between uh, nations is, is due to the fall of man. Uh, and we need to get back to the doctrine of original sin. That's why there's conflict. Um, this is why uh, Jesus uh, says, because he understands human nature, because you see... He is the ultimate anthropologist. He understands human nature and he says, there will all be, always be wars and rumors of wars until I come. Why? Because he knows we're delightful people. He makes a contrast between his own father and between us as human beings. When he says, you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more my Father 
and heaven. Now, I want to be real practical here. You know, we can talk about peace among the nations, and it seems like the more we talk about it, the more there's conflict. And, I, and I, you know, in the periods of time, I guess that there's less war than others, and, and that's good. But I want you to think about your own life. I want you and I to think about the conflict that we bring. How in the world are we going to have peace in the world when we don't have peace in our homes? Now let me address us as Christians for a moment here because we're going to talk about the real power here in a minute. But we're talking about the, the second greatest power, not the first. I'll talk about that in a moment. The power I'm talking about right now is greater than dynamite because you see, how many of us are blowing off the hands and feet of our children? by the way we act at home. Husbands being cruel to your wives, not loving them. And I can confess that in my own life. I've said things that have so wounded my wife. And I've been a Christian for a long time. I'm your pastor. And then also it's like she steps on a booby trap. And it goes off and a hand goes off. How about you husbands? Do you respect your, do, uh, your wives? Do you respect your husbands? Do you, do you, I, I, know, I know it's hard to understand. Uh, you can call it the male ego. Uh, I would call it somehow in God's order that uh, God created men to, to find out who they are by what they accomplish. And man, it's tough sometimes living in a world that's falling. Everything you do goes to hell in a handbasket. You weed that garden and the weed comes back. You got that investment up. You got it all set forth. And then you know what? Uh, the economy goes bad. You didn't know this was going to happen. And it all goes away. And you know what? It's hard. And, and yet uh, sometimes uh, wives don't respect their husbands. And I, I'm not even saying we're respectable people. But you see, but the point is, what, what do our children see? Ah, yes, we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet we're cruel to each other. How about you children? You think you have a right to be angry at your parents because you watch TV and TV, uh, you know, you're 13, 12 years old and you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to be in the flesh. You're supposed to uh, be cruel and throw hand grenades out there to other people at school. You're 12 or 13 year old and you don't feel good about yourself. You know what you do? You lob grenades. And that's powerful, isn't it? How many of y'all had grenades lobbed on you? And so, the Bible's very realistic about our problem. But this morning, I want to talk about a greater power. And that is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A power to overcome all your sin. A power that even after you know Jesus Christ and you're converted, and you still are not crucifying your flesh and, and the booby trap comes out of you. A gospel that's so powerful that he still puts his arms around you and says, I love you, terrible husband. I love you, terrible wife. I love you, rebellious little children. But you see, it's that kind of power that the world doesn't know. It can't understand. No religion, no self-help. It, it can't even begin to touch this power that Paul speaks about. You know why? Because it is a power that comes from God. Now, here's what I want to ask you this morning. I want to start with you who are baptized people. And maybe even more so, you have made profession of faith and you who take communion every Sunday. Is the gospel powerful in your life? 
Uh, rather than the booby traps going off and your hand gets blown off, uh, or you blow somebody else's hand off, when yours gets blown off, you're able to go, hey, well, look, you know, I have the grace of God. I lay my life down. That, that's easy to do, isn't it? That's what human nature is. Is there a power of the gospel that has radically transformed your, your, your life because you've been free from the power and dominion of sin, this power that's greater than dynamite, sin, this power that destroys sin, that there's a greater power that comes from the Holy Spirit who makes you new in Jesus Christ because you begin to understand, as we'll see, it is not about what you do but what He has done. And it begins to well up in your life is your marriage more holy than it was five years ago? Are you more in love with your wife? And when I say in love, maybe I should say, are you more loving? Are you as wise? Are you, are you sensing God's power in such a way that rather than, uh, than anger or bitterness, that there's, there's love and there's mercy? Well, that's what I want to look at in the time that we have. Because you see, the gospel was powerful in Paul's life, right? And, and so I, I, I have to ask these questions because the preaching of the word is futile if it's not applied to your life. And it's futile for you to come without coming expectantly that you need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether you're not a Christian or whether you've been a Christian for 35 years. And so here's the three things I want to say about Paul's power before we come to the Lord's table. I mean, the Lord, God's power in Paul's life and where we see it in our text. Um, first, I want to look at the evidence of the power. What is the evidence of power? I mean, if you're a Christian, is there evidence of it? And then secondly, I want to re- see the reason for the power. There's a reason for it, and that is the gospel, and we'll see what that means. And then finally, I want us to see the source of this power. And the source of this power is a merciful God who not only gives us law, but he gives us the blood of his own son. So first, the reason, I mean, the the evidence of this power. Where do we see the evidence of this power? Well, first I want to see, and in general with the Romans themselves, and I want to look specifically at Paul and see how it affected his life. But first we see it among the Romans, the whole, the whole uh, Christian group there in Rome. In verse 8 he says, uh, we see that the dynamite has gone off in Rome. For he says that the, your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. That's powerful, isn't it? The church of Rome... The gospel was so impacting them, it was going right through Rome and out the roads, into the highways and the byways, okay? They were an effective church. Now, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians, but let me tell you why this is so, so important. Because, you see, no apostle went to Rome to preach the gospel. I, I know that uh, there are those uh, of a certain denomination that say that Peter was the founder of Rome, the Roman church, but there is no evidence of that. But here's what happens. You remember at Pentecost, all the Jews from all that had been scattered all, all abroad uh, throughout the Mediterranean, they would come to the, to, to the Passover. And, uh, but then on, they came to a certain Passover, and, and uh, Jesus Christ became the Passover lamb. The curtain is rent, and there's a new covenant. And because there's a new covenant, uh, 
the Holy Spirit is able to come down from heaven because of the work of Christ. And if you read Acts chapter 2, they received the Holy Spirit. And when they did, they went back to Rome. Well, I'm the apostle. It was men and women who'd been transformed by the gospel. And so the gospel takes off from them. Now, why is this important to see? Well, the reason uh, this is important to see is because uh, uh, it, 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 it is not like it was just one person that was doing this, one, one head honcho. It was the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I believe that in churches. There are certain churches where the gospel is ringing out because the whole the gospel is preached. There's power. The very preaching of the gospel is powerful. And it begins to in, impact people's lives. And they go forth in their spheres of influence. Is that happening in your life? Well, let's take it to the personal level. Let's look at the Apostle Paul. Uh, we see that it certainly transformed uh, his life. Uh, and I, I'm, we talk about this a lot. But the, the reason Paul is such an amazing figure, and I think the reason so many theologians of the liberal persuasion don't like Paul, is because he went from hating the gospel, wanting to stamp it out and the message of the gospel, to where he has become the chief proponent of the gospel. Why? Because he figured it out? No, because Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, appeared to him. And all bets were off on any other idea. And so what's really interesting is I looked at this text. Paul's not a real touchy-feely kind of guy. But if you look in verses 8, 8 and following, you can, you can just see all these eyes in there. I, 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 I. He almost sounds like an American evangelical. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I know that, that I heard a lecture one time on the difference between gospel hymns and hymns, or gospel music and hymns. Uh, somebody said that uh, a gospel hymn is about I, my, my experience with God, which is fine. That's okay. That's good. Uh, but a hymn is about God. It teaches us something. But here Paul's doing singing a gospel hymn. Man, he, he's, he's talking about I. Notice that. Uh, now, I think the reason that he does that is because it's an introduction to a letter, okay, that's going to spell out this great doctrine. He's going to shift into what the, the he, but the practical application of it is here's a guy who hated people. Now he's saying, man, I really want to be with you. I, I, man, I want to impart a blessing. I, I, want to, I can't wait to get there and we can talk about Jesus together. It's not a theory to him. I wish I could look at all the eyes, but I just want to look at just three briefly because I think they'll apply to you. Notice number one in verse 14, he says, uh, I'm obligated. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians. Are you obligated? Well, what does he mean? Well, he says, I'm a debtor. Well, there's two kind of debts that you can have, and I really want to talk about the second one. The first kind of debts, you go to the bank, you borrow money. You ever done that? You ever go, I don't know how I'm going to pay that money back. But you have to pay the money back. Because you borrowed, you personally borrowed from the bank, you have to pay it back. That's not what he's talking about here. There's another debtor that is uh, money given and, uh, from a third party to be given to another party. Now, let me give you an example of that. I had that problem this week because our elders are going to buy the books that I asked them to buy. And they gave me $95. And so I am now indebted to make sure that that money gets to Susan Snyder, our financial person. And Susan, I'll tell you, right now there's 
in your box. Because I had to, I think, borrow six or seven dollars for something. It was good. <laughs> but I'm obligated to the elders that the money they gave gets to where it's supposed to go. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, I'm a debtor because the message of the gospel, Christ has been given to me, and I am to give him to others. He knows the dynamite's just gone off in his life. It's blown him to bits in a good way. And he's been blasted out there everywhere in his spheres of influence. Is that happening in your life? Do you you see yourself as a Christian? I'm speaking to Christians here, okay? Has the gospel gone off? Are are you a debtor to say, hey, what I've, I've been given, I need to give out there. That's exactly what he's saying. So he says, I'm obligated. Then he says, verse uh, 15, he says, he says, I'm eager. Not only am I obligated, I'm eager to preach this gospel. Now, I, you know, I like words. And sometimes I go, yeah, eager. I kind of figure, yeah, eager beaver. You know, hey, I'm eager to eat that hamburger. But the word actually, if you go look it up in Middle English, it, it means pungent smell. It means Sour. And, and the reason that word, uh, eager, kind of comes off that word is because um, it relates to the senses, right? Uh, you ever smelt sour milk? The first thing, right? Have you ever taken a big swallow of sour milk? You ever done that? What's the first thing you do to that sense of taste? You spit it out. You're like eager to spit it out. So Paul is speaking in the positive sense that he is eager to spit out the gospel. Just like a person reacts to the sour milk, when you begin to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, you spit it out. You know, there are people here at Redeemer uh, that I'm so thankful. I see that. that. Does it make you a better person? No, because it's not your power. But it's a power. And you say, well, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. Well, okay, but you're still a debtor. Uh, introverts get receive the gospel of Jesus, right? Extroverts receive the gospel of Jesus. You're still indebted to give it to somebody else. Or, or maybe uh, you go, well, you know, I've kind of lost my opportunity to miss, miss the gospel. I've so screwed up my life. You know, everybody looks at me. Hey, listen, what in the world? You, you more than anybody should be the one who you, you need to hear the gospel. Once you're going, you still love me after I screwed my life up. Yes, and then when you start tasting it, you, so to speak, spit it out. You're eager. And then, then he, he says, thirdly, that uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed. Must have been, he'd been tempted to be ashamed. And I looked up that word. It means embarrassed or humiliated to be associated with a person. Now, if you're about 14 years old, let me tell you, when I was about 14 years old, I was into the cool factor. I really wanted to be, hey, Farnsworth, man, dude, you're cool. You know how that is. You know, if you're 14, you're still trying to figure out who you are, and and you want all the people that don't care about you to think you're cool. Well, my brother Bob didn't have the cool factor. Uh, the Pattons are here from Nashville, Tennessee, and Bo and I used to meet with Bob, and he has no cool factor to him, does he? Bob's out there. He doesn't care. He's president of the school and all that stuff. 
But, but one of the things is he didn't wear the right clothes. You know what I'm saying? He didn't wear like loafers that look good. Like I've got penny loafers on today. Those look good. And, uh, but he would wear just the, you know, stuff like, brother, come on. And I didn't want to be around him when I was with my friends. When we were holding court, I didn't want my brother to be around because I thought he was a geek. I thought he, uh, I, I, and I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. Now, for you boys and girls, I'm not like that anymore, okay? I still wear nice clothes from time to time. But, <laughs> but you see, here's what Paul is saying. I have now been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I wear his clothes. And you know what? Those are funny looking clothes to the world. Because it's not about being moral or good or being bad or being cool or being anything. You know what? It is like being absolutely at peace because you are covered by the blood of Christ. And you've been given the Holy Spirit. And you know what? You're not ashamed of him who clothed you here naked. And then you start thinking, talking about shame. His friends were embarrassed that he was naked on a cross. Naked. He was going to bring the power of politics, the political power to bear, and Israel would be the nation, and we would reign with him, and he's naked on the cross. And they ran, and they were humiliated. But you see, Jesus was humiliated that you might go to heaven, that your sins might be covered, Are you humiliated of the gospel? Are you ashamed of Jesus? Now, again, I'm not trying to beat you up. I, I, honest to goodness, I'm really not. But, you know, these questions have to be asked because the issue is not, well, suck it up and don't get embarrassed. It is what Paul says, it's the power of the gospel. So the evidence of this power, a changed life, the reason for this power. Uh, and I'm going to be brief on my last two points uh, on purpose. I knew I'd be, so... I'm not just cutting through for sake of time, but, but let me tell you, what is the reason for the power? It's the gospel. Notice what he says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes it, to the Jew first and then to the, to the Greek. Uh, he says that the gospel is dynamus. It's powerful. It's powerful to save. Now, let me ask you, you might not agree with that, Okay, you might go, hey, I've heard the gospel, and it's not blessing me. I've been hearing you preach out for 10 years, and you know what? Be honest with you, I'm sitting out here the whole time, not paying any, a word, uh, any attention. It doesn't really affect me that much. Okay, well, look, I, it could be my fault. I pray about that. Sometimes I wonder. I really do. I'm not praying enough. I'm not preaching well enough. But on the other hand, you know what? If dynamite goes off down there in Valdosta, Georgia, are you going gonna to know about it? Doesn't mean it any less powerful. You see, the question is not whether it's powerful or not. The question is, is it powerful in your life? Has it gone off? Has Christ come and transformed your life in such a way that you're new? And you love Jesus Christ. And you love people. And you hate your sin. And you don't think you're the bee's knees anymore, but you don't care anymore. That's the power of the gospel. Uh, Greg Triplett is uh, one of our elders, and he was a commander of artillery. And uh, he would talk to me about how the uh, you know, stuff was shooting it up on the mountain, boom, 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 and it's going off. And, and, man, he had appreciation for the guys in World War II who lived under that artillery fire. 
because he saw the power of what he could do. I can only imagine. Somebody uh, saw the, the, uh, the, the movie uh, the Saving Private Ryan in this uh, World War II vet said, you know what, that's about the closest thing I've seen to what war was really like. He said, he said except for one thing, the stench, the smell that wasn't in the theater of death. You see, it's one thing to hear about the mighty acts of God. It's another thing for the gospel to go off in your life. And why is the gospel powerful? Let me tell you why it's powerful. Because it's not a gospel. It's not about advice. It is, the word literally means euangelion. And the gelion, uh, the, the, the angle, was one who would come and bring news of what happened in battle. He wasn't giving commentary on the news. He wasn't telling you what he thought about the news like Fox or CNN or the other stuff that used to be news. To, I mean, I don't know. But I know news is like, yeah, plane crash, eight people were killed. That's news, right? Good or bad. But the gospel is news. And what is the news? It's not advice. It is the good news that Jesus Christ has been crucified and raised from the dead. And that's powerful. You see... All the other religions, Judaism, Islam, secular help, self-help, it's all about I, it's all about me, it's all about what I do and what I do. You know what, that's not good news. Don't you know that? That's not good news. But you know what good news is? Jesus Christ is substituted for those who believe. Wow. Friends, how can that not go off in your life? Why is that not powerful? There are a lot of warnings in Scripture to ever be hearing and hearing but never, uh, never submitting to the gospel. The gospel is a power in itself. The preaching of the gospel, it courses through. The preaching of the gospel. Why? Because it is news. It's good news. And, uh, and I want to come back to this next week. Uh, third thing. What is the source of this power? Of verse 17. For in Yet, the righteousness of God, in this gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, I'm going to come back to this verse next week because I want us to understand it. But the reason it's powerful is because it's from God. It's not something you do. Uh, yeah, I've heard it said many times uh, from a guy named Tim, not one Tim Keller, it was uh, uh, Jack, uh, what's his name? Well, yeah, Jack Miller. Uh, he was a guy that was a Presbyterian minister, Reformed Calvinist, and he was converted at about 40 years old as a preacher. He finally, the gospel went off. Boom! Because, you know, he didn't like his wife. He didn't like anybody. And finally he admitted he, he didn't. He didn't even know if he believed in any of this stuff. And then the Holy Spirit shows up. Bam! And he gets, that, as Martin Luther said, it's one thing to say God is the creator and the redeemer. It's quite a different thing to say he is my creator and he is my redeemer. Jack Miller always used to say, hey, cheer up. You're worse than you think. Feel bad about yourself today? Well, you're worse than that. Come on. You know, if you, all you're ever talking about is total depravity, and I'm not this, and I know I'm not what I need to be. Friends, let me tell you, the gospel's not going off in your life. It is not about what we do. It is about what Christ Jesus has done for us. Is that good news? That's the gospel. So it comes from God. Nothing in the cross, uh, 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 nothing to the cross I bring, simply to, to the cross I, I bring, uh, cling. That's it. That's the gospel. Praise be to God. Are you saved? 
Is the power of God, is the fruit of the Spirit beginning to well up in your life? I'm telling you, if you've been a Christian 20 years, are you more holy now than you were 20 years ago? Are you talking about Jesus more than you did? Are you just the same person? Maybe you're not saved. On the other hand, maybe you are saved and you've just forgotten the gospel. Peter forgot the gospel. Paul says, he didn't say, Peter, you're a racist. He says, Peter, you forgot the gospel. All the issues are about the gospel, right? And whether we believe it. If you're not a Christian, would you come to Christ? But don't come with him like, "Ah, yeah, that makes sense to me. Because you see, that's not the gospel. That's not powerful. But this morning, if you're convicted that you deserve the curse and wrath of God and that you have no hope, then the gospel is beginning to course through your veins and maybe you've already been converted and look to Jesus and be saved. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, creator, redeemer, we worship you as the gospel.